This episode of the United States of Dramerica is going to be a little bit different. We're talking about drink driving, drinking responsibly, and frankly, what happens if you don't. Our guest is Mark Benadou, a British film director and producer whose son Noah was tragically killed last year by a drink driver. This episode is brought to you by partners Backtrack, the manufacturer of handheld breathalyzers. They help people monitor their blood alcohol content and make informed decisions by providing the industry's most accurate, innovative and affordable breath alcohol testing devices. Also, with Maker's Mark, we make our bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. And also the Noah Benadou Foundation. Please listen, please learn and please drink responsibly. I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. (laughs) (laughs) I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat. People look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they mate picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> you have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. So welcome to United States of Dramerica. And as you've just heard, this is not our usual episode. But I am especially delighted to have on the other end of the Zoom my good friend Mark Benadou. Hey, good evening. So, obviously, this is going to be a very different podcast to, to usual. I think the question I'm going to start with for you, Mark, because there'll be people listening to this and they'll know what the topic is, and their question may well be is given all that's happened, why are you coming on a whiskey podcast? It's a very good question. And, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, a little bit later we'll get into um, what happened. I'm very much of the mind of, you know, we're in a time of being responsible. And responsible drinking is, is you know, it's a no-brainer. It's something that everyone should do. Um, I'm advocating against DUI tragedies because... You know, my son was tragically killed a year ago, exactly a year ago by a drunk driver. And he wasn't even in a vehicle. He was a pedestrian. You know, I use, I turn my grief into advocacy towards this prevention of drunk driving. And the reality is it's not telling people not to drink or not to be distracted or not to smoke marijuana. It's telling people that, you know, if you are going to drive, you need to drive responsibly. And if you are going to drink, don't drink and drive, you know, and if you are going to smoke weed, don't smoke and drive. And if you're, you know, and if you're going to drive, don't text and drive. So, you know, it's a very simple, um, you know, statement. And it's something that everyone as humans, you know, it's, it, it, it's selfish if we're not being responsible because I'm only thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about you or anyone else. So the reason I'm coming on this podcast is I love a drink. I, I love whiskey. But, you know, I have never, um, you know, I've never uh, drunk and driven. And if I ever do drink when I'm out, I would always get an Uber or I would designate a driver. Yeah. And I think, obviously, you know, I, I know your story. I know you. We played football together. And I was thinking, I wonder whether I should invite Mark onto the podcast. Because, <laughs> you know, the podcast is about drinking. And drinking responsibly is obviously part of being about drinking. And I wasn't. I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to ask, if it's the sort of thing people want to listen to, as it were. But, you know, as we were strolling down the seventh fairway of the Chevy Chase Country Club playing football golf, wearing masks, because we're being socially responsible as well as generally responsible. Yeah. And we were talking and you said, you know, I like, I like whiskey. Actually, I think it would be a good thing to come on. And I'm, I'm very glad that you have. And I think we should have a whiskey. But we before should. we do... Yeah. And I know that there's a, a company that you work closely with, with the foundation called Backtrack. Yes. Make they're, these, yeah, sorry, you got it. Well, no, no, uh, sorry to interrupt you. They're the number one um, breathalyzing company um, in, in, our, in, in the nation. I mean, and they make it um, 
very simple solution to use technology to protect everyone. Um, and they, you know, they have a range of um, breathalyzers and, you know, everything from, you know, this one that I'm, ha I'm holding here, which is like a key ring breathalyzer. It's a, it's a no brainer. And to the one I think you're going to use, um, which is just, you know, sort of a small portable one. So, and it's very easy. The great thing about their breathalyzers is, you know, you have a, you know, you go out, you have a drink, you have two drinks, you have three drinks, you can breathalyze yourself and you can see whether you're over the limit. If you're over the limit, you don't drive. And it can also tell you how long before you'll be able to drive when your blood alcohol level uh, reduces. And if you've drunk a lot, which some people do, it's perfectly, perfectly acceptable. It, you can um, connect to an Uber through the um, Backtrack app, on, which is on a, on a smartphone. So it's kind of genius. Yeah, and so we're gonna, we're gonna, I think we're gonna do this three times tonight. We're gonna do it at the beginning as a sort of control to prove that we're not alcoholics and we're not starting drunk. Then after one, and then after a second. And I think yeah. I'm fascinated to see what those results are because you know, everyone knows the rules yeah. and the sort of broad standardization that you know you're sort of okay if you're an average size person who's eaten an average amount you're sort of okay to drive if you've had about two pints of average strength beer for example and i think it's one and a half glasses of wine and, and you know there's all the approximations but actually seeing the numbers i think will be fascinating and probably illuminating and a bit worrying so um, yeah and it does go to show that the whole the whole level, the national level is, it's very, you know, it's a very dubious, um, you know, range because of the way people are made up. No one is the same. Everyone has a different body constituency. Everyone has different height, different muscle density. Um, some people have had food. Some people won't have had food. So every reading is completely different and it's completely unique to that person. Yeah. So to have like a, you know, this is one of the things um, you know, that's the problem across the US is that, you know, to have this sort of base level, which is, you know, that in certainly in California is 0 0.08, your, your BAC level. Um, that means you are after that, you will be over the limit. I mean, re the reality is you should have no alcohol in your blood. You should not be allowed to drive with any alcohol in your, in your blood. But unfortunately, we're not at that point yet. Hopefully we will be one day. Yeah, indeed. So, right. I'm going to turn mine on. I'm going to turn mine on too. Blue light. I got the expensive one. Well, yeah. Right. So I think I just uh, very simple um, to you. Press my button. Yeah. And it says telling me to blow. Right. Mine's warming up. It's that. It's that quick. And mine says I'm at zero point zero zero, which means I have not had any alcohol. I've had one beer in the last week, and um, I am also on 0, 0.00. So, great. good. Good. Right. So, let's have a drink. That quick. So, and, um, and you know, the irony of what we're drinking, do we want to talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, we, as always with the podcast, we're trying to work out what to drink. And your foundation, which again, obviously, we'll talk about a bit later, mm. one of the sponsors is Beam Suntory, mm. who have fascinating range of alcohol in their stable from some beautiful Japanese whiskies to some wonderful scotches, including interestingly Bowmore, who just in the last couple of weeks brought out a special with Aston Martin. Right. Um, you know, it's like a $50,000 bottle, but there was some criticism as there often is about a drinks company pairing with a car company. I think the criticism is of the car company, but again, it's about being sensible. You're allowed to drink a whiskey and own an Aston Martin, as long as you just don't drive the Aston Martin after the whiskey. Yeah. But one of the Beam Suntory companies is Maker's Mark, and uh, yeah. they're very kindly uh, partnering with us on this episode. So we're drinking Maker's Mark, which is yeah. one of three bourbons spelling whiskey without the E, for those who can. And the interesting thing about Maker's Mark, and, the, and I'll just give you a little bit of background in how we, you know, they became associated with the foundation is that you know I work in the in the advertising and entertainment business and one of the first projects I did was a big campaign for Maker's Mark and you know obviously you know doing a commercial or advertising for um, an alcohol brand you know it was very it was a very sensitive issue for me but you know in speaking to 
you know, to them and all the, you know, their, their sort of the, the client side and their ethos and their sort of, you know, basic responsibility um, sort of, uh, I guess, in, 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 the, in the community, I was really impressed at their how, you know, how their efforts have really been to teach responsible drinking. So, you know, it was, it was a very satisfying uh, project to work on. And as a result, you know, as their commitment to responsible drinking, you know, they've come on board to, you know, help out with initiatives that the foundation are doing. So that's kind of, it was a very organic way that, you know, that association happened and um, hence why we're drinking Maker's Mark. So I'm going to pour myself a... Yeah, I pour myself a not unhealthy measure <laughs> because obviously I am at home and I'm not going anywhere. Okay, so I'm pouring myself a measure. Cheers. I'm, I'm using ice because it's 100 degrees in my gallery. Oh, no, I've got ice, but I was going to actually put that in afterwards. Anyway, cheers. Cheers. God, I don't drink enough of this, actually. Um, it's very uh, good. It's it very, very good. good. So you're obviously British. You are film director, producer. You've done commercials. You've done TV. You've done film. You've done sort of Instagram stories. You've done the whole thing. The whole lot. And you're, according to, I love Wikipedia because often it's wrong, but you're <laughs> distantly related to Irving Berlin and Jules Verne. Yes, I am. I mean, my great, great uncle was Irving Berlin. So my, my mum's uh, dad was his first cousin. And so the music side is, you know, um, is obviously very pr present. Unfortunately, it skipped my generation. I can't play a musical instrument, but, but uh, my son was a musician and my daughter's a musician as well. So they inherited the musical genes. And then on the Jules Verne side, yeah, I mean, somewhere down the line, they tracked it back that he was an ancestor. So what's, what's the last few months been like for you, just from a sort of film and television production point of view, given that there's so little happening? How has how your COVID quarantine lockdown been? Well, there's been a lot of development and a lot of um, time to kind of reset and look at, you know, what... Um, you know, the protocols we have had on set and the new protocols, how do we move the business forward? How do we, you know, how do we lead? Because you think, you know, these, in these times of adversity is always a, um, an opportunity for leadership and, you know, responsible leadership, again, back to being responsible, which is, um, you know, one of the things that we've really been trying to kind of concentrate on, you know, and everyone wants to get back to work very quickly as they should, because, you know, everyone's financially strapped and, you know, the, the sort of the problem of not working and the problem of not knowing how severe the situation is and, and the, the, you know, the, the mass media and all the information we're being fed, you know, it does affect you. So what we've been doing is we've been um, taking a look at the projects we're working on, making sure that they're actually responsible topics. We've kind of streamlined our, you know, our, our sort of environmental approach to to the business and you know we have you know we've begun filming again we've done you know a number of remote shoots and you know we're just prepping to do a couple of projects here but you know it's been it's been it's been tough because you know as a as an owner of a company you know you have to you know have a lot of people have to manage um you know you're talking people off the ledge you know understanding their their issues understanding their money issues their emotional issues so you know it's it's been a big uh, it's been a big um, mountain to climb, but I feel that, you know, we kind of, I don't think we, we were on the top of the mountain yet, but I think we're getting to near to the top. We're, you know, on the way um, to sort of creating a new norm, whatever that might be. So I guess going back to this responsible drinking, what has COVID done for DUI. Sadly, Dan, it's getting worse. So you would think that, you know, with it, there's two, two reasons why it's getting worse. So the first reason is there's not that many people on the road. So cars are going faster. So speed is a big issue. But, you know, and let's just take a, a very recent statistic. So between July the 4th, sorry, between Memorial Day and September and Labor Day, uh, the, the 100 most deadliest days of the year. And July the 4th is always the most deadliest holiday for DUI tragedies. And last year, um, I think I have the statistics here. Last year, the 
the um, statistic from the CHP. Now, this is, and I'm just talking about California. So the CHP obviously just deal with all our, our freeways and, and uh, highways. But last year, there were 589 arrests in 72 hours over July the 4th weekend. This year, there were 738 arrests in, in a short amount of time of 54 hours. So that's like a 25% higher ratio of arrests. And of that, last year, there was only 12 fatalities. And this year, there's been 36 fatalities so 177% higher. Now, I mean, that's staggeringly disappointing because what that means is that, yes, people are drinking and being even more irresponsible in a time where, you know, we're supposed to be being more responsible. And, it, it, it you know, it's an issue. And, and I think, you know, the government, you know, they're so inundated with all the rest of the issues that are going on that, you know, this you know, this information is trickling out. You know, this information should really be coming out immediately. I guess one of the problems with drink driving is it's so easy to do. And I imagine if we were to get 50 friends each and ask them honestly whether any of them had driven over the limit, I imagine at least 40 at some point will have done. And I think that's where it gets so tricky. So I'm not trying to defend the drink drivers, but it's, it's something that is remarkably easy to do as crimes go. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, that, and that's the point, Dan. You know, the point is, you know, I'm sure there's, there'll be a small percentage of people that you know, are going to drink and then deliberately drive, you know, because that's just human nature. And then there'll be another percentage where you know they're going to be drinking and they they're thinking they're okay but they're not at all and those you know and that's also not just you know that's not right either you know and I think that's the thing because you know you think you've only had a couple of drinks um but you you can be way over the limit and, and you know I guess that's the purpose of our sort of our breathalyzing experiment here today because they're just going to prove that, you know, just when you think you, you know, you're all right to drive, it's, you know, it's not the case. I mean, any amount of alcohol in your system renders that you, you know, your motor skills and your skills and your reaction time are affected from the minute you put one drop in your system. Yeah. When I remember in my, this is a long time ago now, but when I was a journalist, a news reporter, we used to go out with the police when I lived in York. We'd go out with the police on Boxing Day and they'd set up little checkpoints by the big out-of-town shopping stores for the people going in for their Boxing Day sales. Yeah. And they would catch so many people at eight in the morning on Boxing Day over the limit. And, you know, the, the punters would argue because we were doing sort of ride-alongs and the, and the punters would argue saying, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not drunk. But the point is, even if they, you know, they've actually been to sleep and woken up, the alcohol's still in their system and their reaction time is slowed. So actually, you know, running somebody over on Boxing Day morning, sorry, Boxing Day for Americans, the day after Christmas, in that morning, you know, you could, even if you don't feel like you're drunk because it's, you've had a whole night's sleep, you're still a risk. People go out till two in the morning, drink a, a good Christmas skinful and then get up in the morning and drive off with their families in the car and not think that that's anything wrong with that. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the other reason that, you know, every, during those times, those milestone days during, of, you know, throughout the year when, you know, people tend to consume more alcohol, obviously they're the most dangerous days, you know, and that's, that's the other issue, you know, you're, you're the, there's so much peer pressure to drink and, you know, get in a vehicle and go home and, you know, you know, if it's certainly, you know, talking about your example about Christmas, you know, the Christmas parties and, you know, you didn't realize that you were going to drink as much and then you still get in your car, you know, so it, it ends up being such a snowball effect of, you know, making the wrong choices and the wrong mistakes, you know, that most people unfortunately make because they're not informed. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. Socially, it's awkward. So super awkward. You know, we play football together, so use that as an example, soccer. We go for a beer after the game. We're in a bar. Now, if somebody drinks eight pints and tries to get in their car, we'll stop them. You know, one of the people will say, don't be ridiculous, leave your car here. I think that's, it's easy when it's 
when it's binary. You know, if they're drunk, drunk. Yeah, but they're obviously drunk. drunk, exactly. But, you know, they've had two pints. Maybe they've just played soccer. So, you know, their, their body physiology has changed. They maybe didn't eat as late as they would have done because they knew they were playing. After two pints, are you going to say to your mate, you probably shouldn't drive? I don't know if you would. I don't think I have. Probably not. Probably not. And, and here's the other thing is, again, you know, back to what we were saying earlier, you know, everyone's different. So even if your mate who had drunk two pints is, seems to be, you know, you know, not over the limit and behaving normally, you know, he, you know, he will, his, his reaction time will be impaired. So theoretically he, he shouldn't get in the car anyway, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a social and ethical question. I mean, I don't know. Would you, would you tell, you probably wouldn't. I mean, that's the, and that's the issue. So that's why people have to be responsible for themselves because if you're responsible for yourself and you make those responsible decisions, then, you know, you would hope that, that your decision not to drink and drive would impact someone else's, you know, life, would impact someone else's uh, decision too, you know. So that's the whole thing. If we can get everyone to make responsible decisions, especially with um, drinking and driving, you know, that is the key. Because I remember when I was, again, when I was back in my old journalism days, there was a story that we did at the paper where we did a, a simulator where you go along, you do some simulator with sort of cyclists coming out from the sides, all the sort of usual stuff they do for these safety simulators. You do it sober, you do it after a pint, you do it after two pints and, and so on. And, you know, even after one drink, as you yeah. say, you know, it is an irrefutable fact. You might legally be able to drive, but you are impaired. In a, yeah. I mean, I've, in America, I'm very strict. I won't have one drink and drive because, yeah. you know, I was a diplomat here and, you know, there were sort of jobs that could be lost and, and I'm a visa holder and I'm just a grown-up now and I just don't think I would. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think I ever did it in England as well, but I lived in Bermuda for three years and it was a moped was our vehicle of choice there and there were times where i'd go for a drink and i'd get on my moped and it i don't know we were on a subtropical island it just didn't feel like normal life and and people just the taxis were a bit scarce so sort of everyone did it and socially it was very acceptable then no one really stopped their friends doing it and i look back now and i was in my mid-20s and i look back and think how incredibly reckless that all was particularly on a moped which isn't the easiest thing to control. And yeah. I'm sure if, you know, if we all stare in the mirror long enough, there'll be people who've got their, their times when they know they shouldn't have done it or they weren't sure and probably took a risk. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's the other thing because, you know, one of the things that's always on my mind is that before my son was killed, I mean, yes, I was responsible but I didn't realize how severe the situation was of drink driving. So, you know, if we can bring that awareness and we can, you know, until it happens to you, you know, you don't really think about it. You might want, you, you know, you might think you're responsible, but you know what, do you, you know, do you take the chance? I think more, more than likely you would, most people would take the chance and that's the problem. So that's what we have to kind of, you know, we have to kind of change. We have to change habits because that's the easiest thing to change. Once, you know, you can't really change legislature because that takes so long. And it's, you know, it's caught up in the politics and the corruption and the lies and whatever it might be. But I think it's the habit change. If we can change the habit change and make people realize, you know, that the effect and the impact of what a drunk driving tragedy does, then people will be responsible. So if you, if you drink and drive, you have to think the worst outcome. So if you think the worst outcome, you make the decision, you know what, I'm not gonna drink and drive, and that's it. So obviously, when I gave the example about sort of playing football together and yeah. people going for a drink and you know, what do you do? Obviously, you're in a very different position to everybody else. So have you found either you're telling people not to drive or to think about what they're doing or do you find that obviously people around you who know what's happened yeah it's, it's, don't drink around you 
it's interesting. People that have been that are around us. I mean, obviously, my close circle of friends, and you know, it's been a wake up call for everyone around us, like friends, yourself, and my friend and my family. You know, an extended family. It's a wake up call. Now, there's been times where I've been driving, and and I pull up to a traffic light, and you know, there's some young guy, and he's smoking a, a joint, at, you know, and he's driving. You know, I really feel like I want to get out and just say, "You guys, what are you doing?" But I don't know. You don't. I, I didn't. You know, it's happened a couple of times. I didn't, and and it's really bugged me. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, what? I should have really done that. You know, and it, it's. I think this is the other issue with human nature. You kind of most people, they don't. They don't. I mean, look, I didn't have the balls to do it those two times, and I think that's that. It's not not to sort of be self-deprecating, but it's kind of like that's, it's a really hard decision to make. I'm trying to kind of make myself, you know, sort of make myself that kind of the the Captain America of DUI to, to say something like, you know what, you should not be drinking and driving. Let me get, let me put you in an Uber. You know, yeah. because I, I would have to do that. I would have to really, you know, talk what I, you know, sort of do what I preach, you know. And it's tricky because like say if they've had a lot, it's easy. But if it's yeah. marginal, do you want to be the sort of the whingy, overprotective one saying, "Oh, come on, mate, are you sure you should be drinking after two? Yeah. You know, and it's a tricky one because I feel like if you say it to somebody, they'll be like, "Oh, come on, mate, it's only two. Um, well, exactly. That's and that that is exactly what they would say. And the problem is, Mark, and you know, being honest, if you can't do it. Yeah. If you're not going around telling the people who've had two not to, yeah. But what's happened? Then who else will? Well, um, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I've got. To, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. You know. Speaking of which, I've finished my first whiskey. Do you want to do this? Have you oh, yeah. finished yours? Just finished mine off. Should yeah. we do this? Should we do another breathalyzing? Yeah, let's do another breathalyzing. So we both had one whiskey. Obviously, the, these are home pours. So who knows? And interesting. No, I did a regular pour though. Well, I mean, a regular, you know, a regular home pour. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I'm intrigued to this result. So um, we're different physiologically. So you are, you know, we, we've played football together. You are very much the slender athlete. And I'm... <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank I'm, you. I'm built for comfort, not for speed. And um, so I'm on the larger side. So I'm, you know, probably six inches taller than you. But... Um, I should theoretically be in a better place, but it's interesting. So I didn't have a lot for dinner. So I imagine I'm in a worse place than I would be normally for tolerance. And that's the thing. It's all of these little things. Exactly. So I've just, I've just blown into mine and I've had one, uh, it was a, you know, it was a normal pour and I'm now 0 0.03. So I'm pretty much 0 0.032 it says. So I'm pretty much, I guess, one more drink, you know, well, well let's see. So I'm, I'm ready to have another drink. Let's say again, so your point zero three. Yeah, zero zero three two it says. And the limit is point zero eight. Yes. Okay, right. Well, it says, it. but you know, there's a there's a little warning again, it's a great little thing for backtrack. It says it's unsafe to drive any at any intoxication level, even at point zero four. So I'm close to that, you know? Yeah. So I am it's just collating my results. So the real reading is 0 0.053. So okay. I'm more than you. Yeah, but you, still, poured, you, you, you poured a double first, right? I poured a double first. I haven't slept very well. I didn't have a lot for dinner. So despite being six foot four and X number of pounds, I am, so I'm, I'm and this is an interesting one. I'm legally safe to drive. You are at the moment, yeah. But I'll be honest. So I wouldn't, I mean, you know, I've already said I don't drink and drive at all, but I wouldn't, I don't feel, I'm not a lightweight necessarily, but I wouldn't feel comfortable getting behind the wheel of a car after drinking yeah, a large, neat maker's mark. Yeah. Uh, but I guess legally I could. But Yeah, sadly legally you could. But the legal bit's an interesting one, because obviously there is breaking the law, but there's also causing harm to you or others. Sure. Legally, which is still not something you want to be doing. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you know, the thing about, um, you know, being charged with a DUI and, and here's the thing, 
you know, the police, so whether, you know, whether it's LAPD or, you know, San Francisco PD or CHP, you know, they can pull drivers off the road and, and charge them. But it's the judicial system that throws the, the people back out. They don't, there's no, the punishments are not enough. Unfortunately, the US is the worst country in the world. And, you know, California is the second worst state in the nation. And Los Angeles is the worst city in the nation for DUIs. So, you know, the, in, in Los Angeles alone, um, you know, there were 236 deaths last year with the majority being pedestrians. You know, and of the 10,000, of the 11,000 people killed in, 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 you know, across the nation last year, you know, 10% were Californ in California. So, and it's an, it's an extremely expensive um, problem to California, you know, which is, you know, it costs, you know, billions and billions of dollars to defend DUI cases and to put DUI cases through, this, through the judicial system. And, and the judici judicial system is the issue because, you know, 70% of DUIs are repeat offenders. So that means that you haven't been appropriately punished the first time and you go out and do it again. You know, and that's the issue, you know. Those statistics for California are extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, 17% of arrests across the nation are from DUI. So we're not talking about killers or, or stealing or anything else, you know. 17%, that's a large amount, you know. And, and, and in Cal certainly in California, it's not an offense until you've been caught four times. So the first three times, it's a misdemeanor. So you just get like a tap on the wrist. And that's what the issue is, you know. Look, I have to ask this question at some point. Yeah, of course. Talk me through the events of August the 1st last year. Yeah. So, you know, like any parents, we, you know, my wife and I, we were just at home and 2.30 in the morning, we'd get a knock at the door um, and there was two plainclothes policemen. It was like, you know, every parent's nightmare. And the police uh, said, is this your son? They showed a picture of my son's um, ID card. And they said, he has been uh, killed by a DUI driver. Would you come with us? So we... You know, we were taken to see the Sinai. We had to identify the body. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't want to get into the worst part, into the nitty gritty of it, but it's every parent's nightmare. But what transposed is that, um, you know, Noah, it was a 10.30 at night, Noah, my son, he was waiting to cross the road, a DUI driver driving, you know, double the speed limit, was, you know, speeding down Melrose Avenue, blew through an intersection, hit a car that was turning that subsequently hit my son and killed him instantly. And it was horrific. And, you know, you think to yourself, you know, the driver was arrested, but then posted bail. You know, he was, uh, he refused a breathalyzer. He was taken and breathalyzed. And yes, you know, they proved that he was over the limit. But, you know, now, you know, he's out on bail. It's a year later and the judicial system probably won't be for another year before the case gets resolved. Now, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible um, tragedy that, that um, we have to go through this on top of the tragedy, you know, because, and I think that's one of the reasons that California and certainly the U.S. is the worst, you know, country in the world because our punishments are not severe. Our judicial system is not, you know, um, capable um, enough to be able to, to uphold these punishments. And I think, you know, as a parent, you know, the tragedy that and the effect that it's, it's had on our lives and our friends lives and you know even to you i mean it affects everyone's life and but it's a you know these are innocent people they're innocent people it wasn't like he was a dui driver for instance and got killed he was a pedestrian you know and so you you know you need as a parent to be you know, to be you know um assured that your kids are safe walking on the streets i mean it's crazy it's crazy the situation that we have here. So, you know, we, and, and, you know, our lives have been turned upside down and, but, you know, we realized that we didn't want Noah's death to be in vain and we had to do something. So that's why we started the foundation. Um, and the foundation is really to advocate for, you know, an end to these DUI tragedies, but not 
in terms of lobbying because you know they have i mean everyone knows who mad are mothers against drunk driving and people have heard of all these other ad council campaigns but there's nothing that's really grassroots level that gets that taps into the zeitgeist and to people's consciousness and to people's responsibility and that's kind of what we wanted to do so i'm sorry that was like a long-winded way of saying it but you know that's yeah. kind of our MO and you know, it's, it's very simple. It's talking to friends, it's friends talking to friends and friends talking to friends, you know, and it's, it's our generation. It's every generation. And certainly in my daughter's generation, she started something called sad, which is students against drunk driving. And, you know, she is a graduate. She graduated this year or not that they, she had much of a graduation being a, she's a COVID graduate, but you know, she's advocating for high school students and these young drivers that, you know, perhaps, you know, don't have the sort of, you know, the wherewithal to understand the severity of drinking and driving. Hmm. But it's, it's such a sad story. And you were saying that Noah didn't really, he wasn't even really a drinker. No, he was a musician and, and, and ironically didn't drink and didn't do drugs because he was a singer. So he was, he was always um, obsessed with protecting his voice. So he didn't smoke, didn't, didn't do drugs, and he was always a designated driver. And the irony is, is not lost on me, you know, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. But when you got that knock at 2.30, when you got the knock on the door, I mean, do you have any idea what it was going to be? Well, not really. I mean, you know, when, when I saw these two people through the, through the um, we've got, we have a glass sort of front door. So when I saw these, these two people, I thought it was a bit strange. And when they said, I, and I said, hello, and they said, can we come in? Showing their police badges, you know, instantly this kind of feeling of, of dread was just so instant and um, overcoming. So, yeah, no, it was weird. And, and, you know, the thing is every night, you know, and we were, we're not, we were never helicopter parents. But, you know, we do, you know, I would always sign off with, you know, be safe, drive carefully, that kind of stuff. You know, as a parent does, you know, he was 24 years old, you know, so it's not like he lived, he lived at home, but he lived, you know, he lived in his studio. He had a recording studio that he lived, you know, that he sort of built and worked in. So, you know, I mean, he had his own life and he came and went and he, you know, he drove and he had his car and that this particular night, he didn't. He didn't take the car because my wife and, and myself, I had the car, uh, you know, we were using the car. So he decided to lift and he went down to see a friend of his who lived down in Melrose. So, you know, there was no reason to suspect anything else, you know, because he didn't drink and drive and because he didn't do, didn't do drugs. Most of the time, you know, we knew he was going to be, you know, pretty much safe, but you never know. I mean, you obviously never know. At the back of your mind, you always think, oh my goodness, you, you know, you think the worst. But I think that's just kind of apparent. You know, he was a very responsible boy. And so, you know, it's always the other person. And that's the thing. If you if we can get someone else to be responsible and you're responsible, then obviously, you know, life is going to be a lot better. But, you know, my daughter, who's 18, she was one week away from taking a driving test when Noah was killed. So she obviously didn't. And now she, you know, she's got through her last year and she wants to take a driving test again. And you know, so there's a ton of um, concern about doing that, but we have to let her do it because we have to let her live her life. But, you know, what I, I mean, I would be lying if I said I'm not concerned um, of her driving because it's not necessarily her. It could be the next, you know, the person that's completely drunk or completely buzzed, you know. As a, as a family, obviously, and, and this is the thing, and I... I know this is half you, Mark, but yeah, I think the whole point it is important because it's when you've had two pints in a pub and you're about to maybe get in a car, mm. you know, that's the point where if you think, and I'm sure, like I say, all of your friends will be questioning themselves, yeah, when, you know, in the last year because nobody wants to see what's happened to your family happen to other people and they wouldn't want to be the yeah. one responsible for it so it, it's so important that people hear these stories it really is yeah because otherwise you know you reeled off a whole load of statistics before and the numbers were were enormous 
and they get lost when it's 30 people a day. I mean, who cares about 30 people a day? It doesn't mean anything. But when you tell the story of the 2.30 knock on the door, yeah. it makes it feel, feel real. I mean, the other, the other problem is, Dan, is that, you know, you never forget the images. I mean, you know, you never think you're going to bury your child. You never think you're going to have to identify your child on a gurney. You know, you never think, you know, you never think of these things. And, you know, as a parent, you go, th- we, I mean, we have terrible PTSD about that night, that sort of, you know, and, and, you know, even to this day, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem true. You know, I still can't think, you know, think that it's actually happened. I mean, you know, I see pictures of him, they're around our house, our home, and, you know, everyone's always talking about him. And, it's so crazy to think that we're in this situation. And the last thing I would ever want is for anyone else to be in this situation because it is, because it is the worst possible situation you could be in. I mean, there is nothing worse, you know, and, and as a parent to lose a child, there is nothing worse. It's, it is just crippling. And the thing is, you know, we have to pick ourselves up and we, we have to continue our lives and that's the hardest thing. So do you continue um, and advocate or do you continue and just sort of, you know, live in this kind of weird space? I mean, there's so many, so many health, uh, you know, sort of help groups that, you know, deal with people that have, you know, been afflicted with these tragedies. And you can just see that all of these people are just rendered useless. They can't, you know, they can't overcome grief. And, you know, even in, in my family, you know, my wife and I, we handle, we've handled it very differently. You know, it's really, really affected my wife. Not that it hasn't affected me as well, but as a mother, you know, she gave birth to this, to this child that she's now lost. And it's, it's in, I, I can't even describe it, you know. So, and that's why it's just, a, it's such a no-brainer for someone to just not get in a car. It's such a no-brainer for someone to just blow into a, into a breathalyzer and know that they're too drunk to drive. It's just, it's such a no brainer for someone just to order a lift. You know, it's, it's not like it's, it's not brain surgery. You know, these are, these are, these are choices that should be simple choices that people make, you know, and you know, you should be able to have 10 drinks and then get an Uber home. And then, you know, if you want to wake up with a hangover, that's fine, but you wake up with a hangover and nothing else happens. So that's all right. You know, Tell, tell me about Noah. What's <laughs> sure. Well, you know, there's, there's lots of exciting things um, I can tell you about him. He was an incredible kid. You know, he, he had no plan B. He was, uh, you know, he, he basically learned to play gu- guitar at the age, since the age of five and was performing from the age of 11. He had amazing success pretty early on, you know, played, he toured around the, the country. He was one of you know, he got into the USC's Thornton School of Music. You know, there was like, I think every year there's like 10,000 students that tried to get in and every year only 20 are accepted. You know, he got, you know, he, he's had an amazing short life, but, you know, it was a, it, you know, it was a battle. He was very much a perfectionist. He spent every working living hour on his music. And the day he died, he just completed a new EP I was about to get signed. So, you know, again, another ironic sort of coincidence. But, you know, since, you know, since the tragedy, um, you know, we've been very adamant that we're going to get the music out. And Coldplay, who were Noah's, you know, heroes, Chris Martin, who was Noah's kind of, you know, main, you know, he looked up to Chris Martin as a, as a role model. And, you know, his, Chris Martin is an amazing singer-songwriter. Whether or not you like Coldplay, you can't deny the success that they've had and who they stand for. You know, they've been so instrumental in getting us through this. You know, they were going to play the benefit event that unfortunately was cancelled. They will play a benefit event next year, hopefully. And, you know, they've they've been very, very helpful. And we will be releasing that EP uh, very soon with um, a, a video that um, was, was um, produced by the people that do Coldplay's videos. So, you know, I think that the legacy of Noah and all, uh, and his music that he left us with, you know, will, will, you know, will be, um, you know, will be distributed and everyone will get to hear the music he worked so hard for. So, 
you know, he, he was a great kid. Uh, I, I, I can't really, uh, I can't really fault him. We had a great father son relationship and I looked up to him and, you know, his talent, you know, made me just sort of gasp. And I, I never forget there was a, I had a friend of mine and, um, we were at his place and he, Noah was, you know, someone had asked Noah to play a song and Noah played a song on the piano. And I stood there gasping and mouthing the words of the song as, as Noah was playing the song. And my friend was like, Oh, why were you standing there mouthing, you know, mouthing the words? And I'm like, you know, you, you won't get it until you have a son. You know, you, I'm just so proud of him. So I was, I was so infinitely proud of him. So, um, yeah, that was, that was Noah. He was, he was a, he was a fantastic boy and a fantastic brother. And you know, whatever happened, if it was, I, I, I've, you know, I, it's been a very difficult time and a way to come to terms with it. You know, my faith has been challenged and everything's been challenged, but you know, this is what we're, this is what we're dealing with. That's a great tribute. So you obviously you've set up the, the foundation. You're trying to get this messaging out there. The foundation, the interesting thing about the foundation is that I'm using obviously everything I've learned and um, you know, the practice in advertising and marketing to, to harness those tools to be able to get the message across. And actually the foundation is doing some super interesting things. You know, we set up the foundation and the foundation is basically uh, awareness through music and education. And the music side obviously is related to Noah and every year we'll be doing a music benefit and the educational side and the awareness side, that, that's kind of exciting. Well, we're working with the West Hollywood um, Council on having a billboard. There's a billboard in, um, on Santa Monica Boulevard, which has um, smoking deaths per year. I don't know if you've seen that, but you know, yeah. everyone's seen that. So we're developing, you know, we're working on a plan to have, you know, DUI deaths per year, like an ele electronic billboard. So because it's this visual, visual awareness that will really resonate with people, you know, and, and, you know, again, working with a number of NGOs to really get the message across, working with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, you know, every year they have these big initiatives. So, you know, I mean, it's exciting to be able to work on something where you see you're making a difference in society and you're actually changing people's habits. Because as I keep on mentioning that, that's the critical thing. And obviously, you know, for Gen, for Gen Zers, which are probably the most um visible and sort of effusive generation you know we really want to tap into that zeitgeist we want to make those you know those people sort of stand up and and listen and the tiktok generation i would call it probably and really be responsible because you know um that's important they're going to lead the way and and who knows in 10 years time we may not even have any drivable vehicles everything could be completely um you know, uh, automatic and the internet of things could sort of regulate everything. And maybe, you know, driving tragedies would be erased because, you know, all of these tragedies, they're hundred percent preventable because if you don't drink and drive, they wouldn't happen. It's, it's, a, it's simple math. Um, I just yeah. finished my second large whiskey. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do the next I've, one. I've got one more question for you, but before we do it, let's, um, let's see where we are on our uh, back okay. breathalyzers. I'm going to turn it on. No, I am. Um, I'd be amazed if I'm under the limit. Give it oh, yeah. I doubt it very much. I mean, I'm already feeling, I, I pour myself a double. I'm already feeling a bit, you know. Okay, it's analyzing. Okay. This is mine. So on my one, the, the fancy one, you can, it allows you to try and guess what you are. And I think it's intuitive. And after a while, it's sort of, you get better at guessing because it's important. The guessing part of it is actually quite useful. Wow. Okay. Well, um, here's the interesting thing, Dan. I pour myself a single and then a double. And I feel like I'm super biased and there's no way I could get in a car. And I went from 0 0.03 to 0 0.06. So there's no way I'm getting in a car. And I've now had ostensibly three whiskeys. There's yeah. no way 
on earth I could get in a car and yeah. drive. No. So um, I'm going to do mine again, again. Well, you know, the interesting thing on mine is says that I will be sober by, by 1.23 a.m. So in what, five hours, in four and a half hours time, yeah. which is brilliant. And, and you know what? So I can wait to 1.23 a.m. or I can get an Uber home. I mean, that's the brilliance of this, you know, this backtrack. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so mine's uh, mine settled down. It's point zero nine four. Okay, that's right. so that's yeah. so basically point zero zero eight is the limit. Yeah. So you've had now basically you've had two doubles, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So, so theoretically, we've pretty much had the same to drink. We've just had a couple of drinks. We're two blokes in a bar having a couple of drinks. Yeah. You Thank are. I mean, you're almost, I mean, you're way more over the limit than I am. Yeah. And you said, I mean, I don't know about how you feel, but I, I feel that, I mean, I definitely feel I'm drunk. Well, you know, there's those moments where your life and somebody else's life can turn out so differently based on how you behave when you leave a bar. And yeah. it's, it's decisions. A ultimately comes down to, to decisions. I mean, you're absolutely right, you know. Yeah, you know we have to make those responsible decisions. It's not. It's. I mean, it's not a difficult thing to do. Yeah. You know? um, but the problem is, here's here's the issue. Once you've had a glass of alcohol, your decision making is yeah. is um, changed. So that's the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, and indeed, that's the irony: is a sensible person after a glass of wine will make a decision of an unsensible person. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this has been an extraordinary discussion I appreciate your your candor and your honesty and your emotion and you know the power of your message so let's end with our traditional final question which is if you could drink any whiskey with anyone dead or alive who would it be what would it be and where would it be well that's a very good question I hadn't I didn't know you were going to ask me that question and put me on the spot. Um, hmm. I think that if I was able to have a whiskey with anyone, I think it would have to be my son. Mm. I know that seems to be very cliched, but if it's the last whiskey I'm going to have with anyone, it would have to be my son. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mark Benadou. Yeah. Thank you. The UI campaigner for <laughs> all the wrong reasons, but hopefully to make sure this sort of tragedy doesn't befall anybody else. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome, Dan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on, and thank you for allowing me this platform. I love scotch, 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 scotch. Yep. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>